Hi, this is Rob Sepich, and welcome to Relaxing with Rob. This episode is designed for graduate and professional students, as well as people early in their career. So if you can relate, I hope you're going to find something of value here. Here's a little background. I think balance is terrific. You know, who can argue with that? But it's really hard to achieve and harder still to maintain. Now, if you have the money and time to go on retreats and practice yoga and meditation, get massages, eat healthful meals, learn the secret to a balanced life, by all means, go for it. But most of us don't. It seems like everybody's talking about balance right now. For example, an August 2019 survey found that 75% of medical residents listed work-life balance is their top factor in choosing a job. It outranked everything else, including salary. I know people who say that striving for balance stresses them out, leaving them to feel like they have yet another inadequacy. So here are some ideas. First, before talking about the finer points of balance, I think preventive basics need to be mentioned. To me, these are things like exercise, sleep, nutrition, and social support. When you value those, you can handle demands with much more skill than when you're tired, hungry, sedentary, or lonely. Lacking some of those might still permit you an occasional sprint, but certainly not a marathon. Second, if your advisor or principal investigator or boss says that they value work-life balance, congratulations, you're in a place that at least pays lip service to the goal. But unfortunately, sometimes these are just words spoken by people who work incredibly long hours and have poor boundaries and expect you to respond to their messages during nights and weekends. Some innovative companies back this value up by actually having policies against after-hours messaging, except in true emergencies. The New York Times recently ran an article about out-of-office voicemail messages. One executive's outgoing message went something like this. I'm on vacation with my family. If this is an emergency, please call 911. It was more than a joke as it got her colleagues to think twice before pursuing contact while she was away. Third, you might feel like you're not permitted to say to a supervisor something like, I'm sorry, but I could use some help or a little break. In a subordinate role, many grad students feel like they don't have permission to do this, as they're expected to advance through their programs with ease. I've known quite a few who just fake it well, and you know how dangerous it is when we're comparing our insides with somebody else's outsides. And many faculty members and bosses are, in fact, supportive and understanding, but they are not mind readers. You shoulder the responsibility to speak up. Now, being assertive, of course, doesn't guarantee that your needs will be met, but it sure helps your odds. I once asked off for a couple of mental health days from a job, and I was shocked how supportive my boss was. I returned far more productive. I just needed a break. So it's risky to speak up because you might look weak, heaven forbid, but it's better than burning out. 
I'm still learning that when I show vulnerability, it usually turns out well. Fourth, talk to people in your department who appear to maintain balance and find out how they do it. They'll be flattered that you asked, and they'll probably have tips that really specifically fit your circumstances. Every advisor is different. For example, some bad supervisors had lousy role models early in their careers. And without knowing it, they might be using this style on you. It's so hard to have people like this as your boss. But please keep in mind that they might be projecting their insecurities on you. And some mistakes it feels like you're making might not actually be your fault. The worst supervisor I had in grad school taught me a valuable lesson how not to supervise. And I did the complete opposite of him when I became a supervisor. And it worked. Fifth, when the media is pushing balance on you from all angles, you might feel deficient if you lack it. I once read a long article in a popular magazine featuring a woman who was in a seemingly ideal state of balance. I mean, she would cook a hot breakfast every morning for her large family. She'd pick her kids up from school every day. She was active in volunteer organizations. I mean, it was enough to engender an inferiority complex in most parents who read the article. It sure did for me. But I had to read carefully to figure out that she also had live-in help. Do you? If not, please don't give yourself a hard time if you hand a toaster strudel to your child as they run for the bus, as I was known to on many mornings. In other words, life itself can sometimes interfere with your goal of balance. Sixth, I really like the health and sports psychologist Shyla Mergain, who I once heard mention balance in terms of ebbs and flows. This is more realistic than aiming for a constant state of it. Maybe you neglect exercise a bit while you're preparing for prelims or complete a grant proposal. And in the short run, I think that's okay. But if this goes on for long, you're going to feel it, physically and mentally. Or maybe you're neglecting the social component of balance when you're concentrating on a huge project. But if you say no to your friends' invites often enough, they're going to stop asking. There's no magic time frame for these ebbs and flows, but I personally think a couple of weeks is a good rule of thumb. So if you start approaching that, please step back and reassess. As a brief aside on that exercise component, I know lawyers and PhDs who told me that they would not have completed their degrees without Zumba. Whether it's that, or bar three, or yoga, you're going to likely find that your time investment in exercise more than repays you in efficiency on the job. Seventh, as an experiment, chart how many hours in one week you spend on everything. It can be enlightening to let data tell you where your priorities lie. If you were to simply estimate it, I bet the total would exceed 168 hours because we're lousy estimators. So actually chart it, look at it, and then consider some possible changes. This experiment can also have great benefits when you're asked to take on something you simply don't have time for. 
show it to your supervisor, and ask for guidance on what to stop doing in order to begin this new project. And finally, number eight is breathe. When you don't have time for anything else, simply a few slow, conscious breaths can punctuate the day and reconnect your mind with your body. For example, let's just take a couple of them right now. Slowly inhale. Let your belly expand and hold it. And slowly exhale, fully releasing the air from your lungs. And now a second breath, maybe even deeper than the first. And hold it. And slowly, but fully exhale. There. That didn't create balance in your life, of course. But I hope it reminded you that it's a worthy goal. And there are many paths to get there. Thank you for listening. We'll talk again soon.